Welcome to the CoinGam Podcast. I'm your host, Fritz Charles. On this podcast, we attack the crypto asset and blockchain space from all angles, from the underlying technology to the economic impact. Every single episode, we try to look at the blockchain space from a new lens, and this episode was no different. But before we start this episode, I wanted to share a bit about our advisory services. We've built a huge network of blockchain professionals who can help you out with your projects. Whether you want to launch an ICO or you're just looking to do some deeper research, we can put you in the right place. We have advisors, blockchain developers, and legal professionals. If you need help, just visit us at coingamma.com. Now, let's start the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Coin Gamma Podcast. We are honored to have Gregory Whiting on the podcast today. You know, we've had varying guests, but a lot of our guests have somewhat similar backgrounds, whether they came from finance or from business or from technology in the past. But we're super happy to kind of have Gregory on because he has a pretty unique background and it's going to be an awesome conversation. So Gregory is the founder of Solarius Universe. Thanks for having me on. I'm not a founder. I'm one of the, I guess, founding team members. Okay. All right. All right. So founding team member. Thanks for that correction. He's also the uh, community diversity and ethics lead at Consensus. Prior to Consensus, Gregory was actually a social worker at places like Sound Mental Health, as well as being a youth counselor in Seattle. Pretty cool transition that you've made from social impact and social work into the blockchain, although you're really focused on the same kind of impact work within the blockchain. So can you, welcome to the podcast again and, you know, help fill in some of the gaps that I might have left with your background. Well, thank you for the introduction. I really appreciate it. Um, I guess at the beginning, what I'll say is, you know, the company that we work for, you know, we're working on this, this Solarius project, which is like a startup within a uh, blockchain ventures studio or blockchain ventures company called Consensus. Um, it's an S-Y-S at the end. Sure. And the parent company uh, as a whole focuses on having uh, a pretty flat organizational structure. So, you know, often people who call themselves the chief of something are jokingly referred to as a chef. Huh, all right. The whole point being that we're actually really working together. Uh, there's very few people who really would go with the title of being like the founder ahead of something. We do have some people who are certainly the first ones to, you know, organize this hilarious uh, project. But in terms of the kind of the people who are working on this as a fully fleshed out idea, I'm a part of that, that initial team. Um, I believe it's currently probably, I think mm, seven, no, eight or nine of us. That's great. We've been growing pretty quickly. We've got a person in Romania. We've got a person, we got several people in New York. We have somebody in LA. We got a person in the Bay Area. We have someone who's from Hong Kong. Uh, we have myself from the exotic place of Detroit, Michigan. All right. You know, I just wanted to kind of set the record straight in terms of how we, we operate. And it's different, you know, coming from the medical social work field where everything is regimented. Sure. Uh, almost to the same point of a military, you know, in the military, everybody has a specific role and, you know, you see somebody's badge, you know, exactly what they're trained to do, what they can do, what they can't do and who they should speak to. That's how the hospital is working in the tech field and working in a startup, working in a, 
and a business that's oriented towards being flat is completely different. Right, right, right. You, you know, what's funny is uh, I've met other individuals from Consensus, and that's kind of what um, they describe it as. You know, not only is the technology decentralized, but the leadership there is decentralized. Pretty flat yeah. org. Everybody kind of uh, is almost like an athlete in the sense that they could do a lot of different things and make an impact in uh, many different ways. Um, so that's pretty cool. I ran into uh, the head of Consensus today. Uh, Joe Lubin, he was uh, just talking to somebody. So, and just said hi to him, you know, and I've seen him a few times, but there's no way, the way he interacts with the coworkers, you know, with staff, in my experience, having been with Consensus for this year, it's completely different from anything I've ever experienced. That's awesome. That's awesome. He's that's, right at high level. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he seemed like, when I went to Ethereum, in May, he seemed like a very down-to-earth individual, um, even though, you know, he's obviously very successful. Um, cool. Well, obviously, you know, consensus is where you are now. And what led you there? Yeah. The crypto space. I um, love to tell that story. Yeah. Um, I'll go back to Joe really quickly and just say that Joe is a Canadian and that there's a lot of uh, Canadians that I've met at uh, consensus, and specifically white Canadians. But... Um, they're they're pretty open, pretty easygoing, and uh, you know one of my friends, uh, he's also white. He's actually Eastern European, but um, a Canadian citizen. Uh, sure. His name is Igor. He is the, the true founder of Solaris, the person um, you know who'd been working on this back when this was an idea. It was him and just a few other people, uh, basically having conversations. Right? It wasn't a job. It wasn't something that was funded. Um, I think he would start off playing board games with his friend and then it just grew out from there. Then, you know, there were two other people involved and then more people and more people, but Igor and I are buddies. I, I went to college in Seattle. I went to grad school there for social okay. work, Sure. made lifelong friends with some people I, I, uh, lived near and went to school with. Uh, and one of those people, his name is Gabriel. He's childhood friends with Igor. So once I met Igor, uh, you know, one of Gabriel's friends, we just really hit it off. Okay. You know, we bonded over anime, science fiction, uh, conversations about the economy, technology, and society. And uh, eventually got to a point where he started to, you know, give me hints of this idea of a project that he was working on. Okay. About science fiction storytelling that's collaborative, uh, something that's different in the sense that instead of having to have fan fiction uh, be its own separate world from kind of the canon content, those things are actually blended now. So right. your engagement actually has a direct impact on what the main story is. In fact, you are a part of creating the main story. Um, in fact, not only are you a part of creating the main story, but you can monetize that content or your involvement, either to pay for certain work or to be paid uh, for creating certain work. Sure. Or you create your own, you know, new system of payments uh, under that structure. So the more he talked to me about it, the more I was like, I need to learn more about crypto because I thought it was just a money thing. Sure. And he explained to me like, no, you can have smart contracts with this. I mean, you can basically program and automate a, a trusted, trustless uh, software architecture for uh, a variety of applications that we don't typically think of when, you know, the understanding of, of blockchain is that it's, you know, almost like a gift card that you can't duplicate. 
because that's where I was in the beginning, right? I didn't know anything about it. Right, right, right. No, no, but it's cool. It's cool that your introduction was into was using uh, a space that you had a passion for, right? So obviously, yeah. fan art and storytelling. Um, I'm not a super. I'm not super into that, but uh, actually, uh, my brother-in-law is pretty pretty into it. He uh, he he goes on this platform called Deviant Art. Yeah, he, about that a lot. yeah, yeah. So he puts out his stuff. So I'm gonna have to tell him about this, this platform and get him on there to kind of participate. Um, because he's uh, he draws, he's super talented at this stuff. Um, but cool, it's really cool. Is you know, one of the organizing principles that we talk about for like how do we operate as co workers? Something that Igor always talks about is we need to practice ego death. So that's the whole thing that you know, really being receptive to positive change. You have advice from me on something and I'm like, well, you know, Fritz, he's not an expert on this. It doesn't matter. You might have insight that I don't have. I need to right. be open to listening to you, right? And so Igor would bounce ideas off of me about what he's working on. And I love the sci-fi thing, but you know, this is, he's at the time speaking to his friend who's a social worker. He's been doing social work for almost a decade. Uh, people with mental illness, chemical dependency, people who are in the legal system uh, disproportionately. Uh, right on their race um, and, and class background. I told them, you know, all this is great, but it really doesn't mean much if it's not accessible. Sure, so sure. You, you don't, it shouldn't be something where like you have to have a powerful PC to use it. It shouldn't be something where you have to be a master of crypto to use it. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be uh, too expensive. And, and really importantly, when we think about comic books, anime, video games, sci-fi and all that, people should be able to see themselves in this world. You know, you and I can watch an episode of Game of Thrones and see more dragons on screen than Asian people. Right, 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 right. You're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, representation matters. Um, yeah, it's totally important, right? And so when I talked to him about it, just two friends talking, he said, yeah, that's a great idea. That's really important. And we talked about it more and more. And once, you know, it got to the point where this is like a funded project, I said, hey, when you have a position that I can use my skills for, um, not only my work as a counselor, but my work in doing like diversity consulting, facilitating conversations about power and privilege. I want to come on board and do that. And so we got to that point where he basically said, these are the things I need to have done. You know, I want you to work on this. And I also want you to write your job description. I want you to write the things that you can do that even enhance this. And that's where we got to the point where I became the, the person leading community ethics and inclusion. That's great. That's great. So do you lead community ethics and inclusion for all the consensus or only for this spoke? Specifically for this spoke. Okay. Um, thankfully, you know, going back to like the ego death thing, it's a shared value. So there's other coworkers that I see uh, if I come into the, the, like the Bogart office that I see on a nearly daily basis who have these shared values or who are working on these things uh, in different spokes. Awesome. All right. So I guess obviously we, we kind of went into the depth of how you got introduced to the project, why I was why it was attractive to you. But if you were to just kind of kind of summarize it for somebody that doesn't understand it, what is Solarius Network? Sure. It's um it's a collaborative storytelling experience. So I think we're all familiar with storytelling. Uh, I think we're familiar with the term, you know, collaboration. Uh, you know, collaborative storytelling, we're doing it together. It's not, you know, if we're at a campfire, it's not just Fritz's story, it's Fritz's and Gregory's story, and, and maybe we're telling a, a ghost story. It's almost as if, um, if you see like 
sketch comedy or like improv where people are building upon something of course like in the moment i actually ironically i didn't even think about this i've done improv in the past in college i was paid to do improv but um it's a bit like that only you're doing it in the in the written sense so you get to write it down you don't have to do it live you can do music um you and i could animate something together um maybe you're a great great visual artist but you don't have a good good eye for scripting right that service and now we've created something together that makes sense now i guess when i when when i think about that it's one thing to work on a on a book or work on a story or work on a song what have you or a joke when i'm in a room with the person and it's like all right well we collaborate and we're going to think about what we're going to what's next in this story right so let's say there's some adventure thing and the person is on a cliff and so it's either the person turns around and goes down a mountain or it jumps off or something like that and so we decide together but when it's decentralized there's probably like infinite outcomes that could happen at that point in a story how does how does your platform like like choose what it what goes on the blockchain and what happens next that's a great question we're actually actively working on that that process internally figuring out the checks and balances that we want to have for that as we continue to develop the alpha and get ready to roll that out to people who have applied to be a part of it. Sure. I think the kind of top-down approach um, that I can use to explain it is that there's going to be, at least in the beginning, some internal checks and balances, um, you know, some ways to ensure that you don't submit a grand story that is just you typing the F key repeatedly. Right. Um, but, you know, beyond those things that are um, explicit and objective measures of, you know, what constitutes a story and what doesn't, the rest is up to the community. So once we've determined that, you know, it's not uh, hate speech that goes, you know, outside of the bounds of our community guidelines document, which we've created as a, as a, uh, as a living document, so it can change yeah. the needs of the community you know, change and grow. But, you know, assuming it's, you know, within the confines of that, which are, you know, pretty permissive, then it's up to the community. And so, you know, they can upvote it, like it. Um, we can set it up so that we have, once we have an X amount of engagements with it, like enough people have read it uh, or maybe submitted uh, an intent to build off of that item, then we can ratify it. We can make it core content. So we say maybe you and I worked on like a 10 part story together and we publish it. Maybe people only like parts one, five, and six. Sure. So all of a sudden it is true that the character, I'm just making this up. The character was born without a knowledge of who their parents were, but the whole part about them being like um, really good with technology, people didn't like that but they did like the fact that we had written in parts five and six that they were very stubborn and they, that they were very stubborn and that was a skill of theirs. They used it to, to learn, you know, they had a lot of tenacity. And so from there, those things that become ratified as core content, then that becomes something that, you know, we can work with on the platform as something that we could monetize if we wanted to, or, you know, having people pay to, to use or engage with that content or have, somebody pay to use that content to build off of it right 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 no it's interesting that's interesting and what doesn't make it would be like in a loser's bracket 
and not to say that they're losers, but I can't think of a better term at this point. And I used to wrestle, and so I think of the losers bracket and the winners bracket. But you know, in the I guess the unratified content bracket, at that point there'd be some cool down, and then it can go back to being resubmitted. Maybe we just needed to do better editing work. Maybe it wasn't the idea of you know this person being a, a technologist that people didn't like. They just didn't think it was convincing the way we wrote it. And I was also thinking about this being decentralized, even the people that kind of go into this, um, you know, unpublished or, or loser bracket, they probably got feedback. And so they could take that and iterate and resubmit a better version. Um, and how wonderful is that? You know what I mean? Like what other, what other environment, creative environment where you can monetize information uh, can you think of where you can engage with community and you're actively, you're basically rewarded for your participation and your desire to grow. Exactly, exactly. Right. Uh, obviously, there's a level of bravery that happens there, right? Because you kind of put yourself out there and no. be judged by a group. No, you can put your, you can be published under a pseudonym. Maybe Fritz and Gregory are not separate users. Maybe we log in under the same ID. We're best friends, we're roommates, we're... Uh, brothers uh sure. we work at the same we work at a library together we spend eight hours a day in front of each other we always talk sci-fi we're like okay we'll work on this on the weekends and we, we publish under the pseudonym okay so nobody knows who it is you know if, if it's a if it's a transaction using um using metamask for example how would you know who it is that's a very good point that's a very good point um no, and there's true. a precedent set for that in science fiction already, with a lot of famous women writers having used masculine names and having gotten more success in their writing and publishing because of it. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I guess I guess that history is why you're you're somebody like you is very important to this project to making sure that everybody's story gets this equal footing. Um, so I guess you're focused on representation. So you just pointed out the example of how in history, um, a certain gender doesn't have as, as much exposure as another. And yeah. obviously that happens with different ethnic groups. Um, oh, yeah. you know, things of that sort. So I guess, what do you like, what in your role, how do you, how are you making sure that as your platform builds, it's inclusive of all folks? Thank you for that question. Um, so one thing is, uh, Thankfully, that role, you know, like I said, is it's a shared value. So it's even though I'm the directly responsible person for that, um, I'm supported by coworkers who understand the value of that and understand the value of it to the business. Um, so it's you know it's not my own solo uh, work, but um, one thing we do is you know we've been leaning heavily on making sure that we get our word out to many different people whether it be through advertising or specifically going to events. Okay. So it can be big generic events such as San Diego Comic-Con or, you know, we could go to something like New York Comic-Con, um, but it can be specific bespoke events such as Eurocon, which is a pretty old science fiction convention that happens uh, throughout Europe. And this year it was in France, Amiens, France. Okay. Um, A-M-I-E-N-S. And there, there were several hundred people who spoke English and French who were really interested in um, four different kinds of science fiction, but one of their like real big focuses this year was uh, Afrofuturism. You know, everybody's wow. big on Afrofuturism. So we went all the way out. What does that do to Wakanda? 
Black what Panther? You say? Is that from Black? Is that like inspired by Black Panther at all? Well, Black Panther is a, is along the continuum of Afrofuturism, right? You've got Sun Ra, who's a part of that. Um, you've got books by Nadia Corfor that's a part of that. You've got books by Octavia Butler that are, are a part of that. I mean, Afrofuturism is it's a big thing. You know, it's um, it's connected to a lot of different things, and so. Uh, for that conference, which I wasn't at, we had writers there that we wanted to just meet with who were interested in those those concepts. We don't have to have Afrofuturism in this uh, platform. We want to be open to it, right? So it's not that we're requiring something. It's that we want to make sure that if somebody wants to do their kind of work and it's within you know this universe guideline or universe guide that we've created, then we we want it to flourish. You know the 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 focus is on being inclusive so that people can grow what they want to grow. I wouldn't look at the stories and say that, you know, it's wrong simply because I don't see a cer certain story that I want. I would think, okay, well, what do I need to do to make sure that people who want to do this work are empowered to publish on the platform? So I guess, you know, one of the things that I was, you know, I was kind of looking at your website, reading a white paper, things of that sort. And obviously one thing around, um, I guess some of the goals or, or this theme is around mythology. And so one thing that was written was that it's a mythology that's future oriented versus known mythology that is past oriented. Like what, what, right. is that, what does that mean? So I would say that blockchain technology in general is pretty future oriented. Um, you know, we've got this grand concept that blockchain technology uh, will outlive us you know, it, it's not dependent upon human beings. Like that information exists whether you turn the computer on or not. Right. It, it's, it's immutable. You, you can't just, um, you know, destroy a hard drive and, and then the transaction never happened. So I think in a strange way, the technology itself almost um, demands that we have a future-faced perspective doesn't mean that we would ignore the past per se. I mean, the past I think is used to influence some of the best science fiction we've ever read, but um, we wanna make sure that we do something different in the sense that instead of just doing a future that is dystopian, like you would have in Blade Runner, which I you know really enjoyed, but instead of having something like that where you're saying like objectively and definitively everything becomes more harsh you know the color scheme is is harsh for blade runner you've got a lot of uh like harsh neon lights and then like dark colored clothing you've got a lot of corporate control what we're saying is in this future we're a bit more neutral to optimistic in the sense that there because it's still people around there's an opportunity for great things and bad things and we want you to be able to kind of explore both of those sides or all of those sides. Cool, cool. No, that's super interesting. Now, I guess another thing that was interesting was the connection of arts and accounting, which is something I never came across, you know? You know, we really want to bring those things together because they influence each other. And I think a good example of that is like, you know, what is Solarius? Solarius is the name of an artificial intelligence. So the, the story has... And this isn't like giving anything away because it's in the universe guide. And, you know, frankly, people are going to be writing their own stories to determine what, what happens next. But the, if you imagine the world as it is now, 
uh, X amount of years later, artificial intelligence will emerge. And we probably won't know when it first happens, um, but at some point it will be apparent. And so as we have it in this story, the major or global event in which people are aware that the, that the AI exists is that it takes power away from all centralized grids. It uses the power for itself. And obviously that would cause a lot of people to die and it would drastically change the way we live in the world. And so even though it's mathematical and it's logical, it's a logical extension of technology that you would have artificial intelligence and that it would do things to insist that it persists and consistently can persist, you know, which is very logical. The art part comes into play in terms of figuring out, well, what would happen next? So it, it you know, it can ensure that it exists. Well, what happens after it? There's no way we can impact it. Well, in our story, in the universe, God, he gives the power back after 20 years. We don't know exactly where it's getting all of its power, but we know that how we use power is no longer, like, we're not a threat to it. It's somehow given, you know, determined that it's okay for us to have some. And so some people can write stories about humanity. They can write a story about, if you can imagine, if we don't have power, we don't have borders in the same way. There's no Israel-Palestine anymore. There's no difference between uh, Mexico and Arizona and New Mexico and California. Those borders cannot be reinforced. There's no, there's no electricity. There's no power to run an army. All, all of a sudden, you know, the people that, that you live near, you know, it's no longer like a zip code or anything like that or a city. It's a shared body of water. It's a shared water wells, shared crops. Um, our interactions with each other are different. Maybe you and I would have, you know, if we had children during that time, this time of darkness, like 20 years of darkness where society is reforming itself, they don't know what machines are. And then if we have their children, you know, our children's children have, you know, they exist, that'd be probably 20, 30 years later. They're growing with all this technology that comes back. So if you can think about all that, there's a lot of different things you can write here. You could write a story about what happens in the region that we currently politically refer to as Israel and Palestine or the West Bank. You do the same thing with the Mexico-US border. Right. Think about a bunch of people living in Puerto Rico, just living on an island um, and how they, you know, retain um, a sense of community in a time where they don't have any, you know, outside support or they don't have the same kind of trade lines. So that's, that's the social element. I mean, if you want to go into the, the logical side and you want to talk about um, the accounting, you could specifically focus on the AI. You can specifically right. focus on what you think is going to come up of other AI. Who's to say that there would just be one? Wouldn't other AI also come into existence that would be orders of magnitude less powerful or intelligent in terms of computing power? Right, right, right. No, that's true. That's true. And if so, how would they exist? That's true. It's it's interesting. It's, there's a lot of different directions that this could go in, um, and it's it's super cool to kind of pontificate and 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 see 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 the various angles. There's so many places that could go that you know we don't even have the uh, we don't even have the cap- capability to come up with. Um, and, I, so. and I hope I'm not talking too much about it. No, 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 no. It's just, this is super interesting. Super, super interesting. Um, but I guess at, at the risk of, of, of bringing it back to more, uh, I guess, boring things, um, another thing that kind of comes with the, a platform that creates content 
or creates art or creates stories is that, um, you know, there has to be uh, somewhat of an ownership there too. Um, and, you know, it's decentralized. Uh, is it that nobody owns it? Um, I, I saw that there was some term on your platform or your white paper called permissive licensing. Is that something yeah. you're looking to kind of... Uh, so just like you'd asked about, you know, inclusion, we have, you know, we have a lot of conversations about inclusion, best, best strategies for that. How do we, you know, make sure that we uh, appeal to a lot of different people to create content and enjoy the content here. We also talk about the legal aspects of licensing because we're, we're doing something different, right? It's very different for a company to explicitly say we want to include a wide range of people and then to actively work on it, you know, to do more than to just make it like some motto or marquee statement. Um, and so we're also, we're being just as radical, if if not more, I would say, than when it comes to licensing, because I've seen diverse businesses, but I haven't seen very many, that uh, any that have gone this route. And so if you think about today's mainstream con content, you've got, you know, your favorite superhero franchise. Um, there's there's tons that you and I could list off that often end with uh, the name of the character's gender. <laughs> but, you know, you've got those characters, right? Um, the licenses to the content, you know, for those characters, it's very tightly controlled by sets of highly powerful lawyers and legal teams. Um, you could do the same thing with, uh, we could talk about like video games or like Nintendo. Nintendo had a big thing with YouTube recently, I guess in the last year, where a lot of people who posted Nintendo content got in trouble. They got, um, I think, takedown alerts or um, even if they weren't monetizing the content, even if they're just reviewing content, they say they love Nintendo content. They still, you know, they're getting in trouble with that. So, if and they're not even creating something new, they're not creating like a, a, a third brother from like Mario and Luigi. They're just talking right. about what they like in the, the show. And so right, they're already right. on the video games. They're already in trouble. So if you're a fan and you wanted to make some fan art. Those expensive lawyers might not care too much. Sure. Right? If you do it on your own, you and I are trading pictures of Dragon Ball Z characters, working on our sketches, um, and whatnot. But the moment you try to monetize that content, you'll be getting a letter very quickly. Of course. All of a sudden, you're a known individual. You're in trouble. You better take it down, take it off of your, you know, your Etsy site, uh, your eBay um, you know, Amazon, where you're selling something, it's an unlicensed product, right? Sure. The majority of mainstream modern content is licensed this way. And we think it's a little strange. Um, you know, as a team, we, we think that there's a better way to do this. And, you know, especially when it comes to storytelling, you know, if you right. consider some of humanity's greatest myths, um, if you think of, you know, the, the Greek pantheon or Hindu mythology, if you think about Imhotep, if you think about, um, you know, learning about the, the stories of the, the Egyptian gods, if you think about uh, folklore stories, you think about um, Johnny Appleseed, uh, Anansi the spider, these stories are bigger than that. Right. You know, no one set of lawyers owns that content. These stories are remixable and adaptable. We want the people who engage with Solarius to come at it with the same, that same spirit. 
And in return, we want to explore how flexible we can legally be with those license rights. Then hopefully one day even create ways that creators can monetize their works in the Solarius universe. We want to poke and prod at those, you know, existing structures and create new ways for people to create and enjoy content and to monetize it. Super interesting. And so um, basically this, if somebody, let's say, you know, one of the stories do pretty well and it's pretty intriguing to a Hollywood director and he or she wants to make a movie out of it, this would be the, uh, the way that they would be able to license it and then there will be a way to tie back some of that, I don't know, some of those fees or, or whatever it may be, back to the creator that was part of your network. Yeah, I mean, there's, we're working out lots of specifics with things like that, but I'll give you an example that I, uh, a concrete example I can think of that would probably do a better job of elucidating this, this, this matter. So um, imagine you created something uh, some digital art, you know, we talk, I just mentioned, uh, the, like Nintendo video games, it's, it's digital content. And I would argue that it's art. Games are art. There's a tremendous amount of creative energy that goes into creating games. That's right. Uh, so in this case, you made a video, you made a video of this, this character that we created this, uh, this young woman who's very, uh, stubborn. And it turns out that that's actually, you know, what, was what she felt was a, a shortcoming of hers is actually kind of a chip on her shoulder. And she uses it to get better at things, better than her peers and to, to succeed. And, you know, we create this thing, we're very proud of it. We did this animated video that people loved and you and I moved on. Maybe we were both uh, college students and we both went to grad school. We wanted to do other things with our time. We weren't sure when we would have time to return to this. Right. Somebody wants to buy that. They want to own that and they want to create something new with it when they want to create episodes two through through 10. Right. So they buy it from us. They have the rights to it and they, you know, they have their phone with it and then they sell it later because somebody else wants to do something with it. Uh -huh. We can set up a smart contract that gives us a payment based on that transaction, even when it's sold a second time. That's incredible. So what this means is instead of a traditional structure with art, let's say if you're a famous painter, um, like Carrie, if you're a famous artist like uh, Carrie Mae Weems, and you do uh, some painting that's, that's gorgeous, you did it in 2018, everybody, uh, your friends liked it, but you weren't well known, and you sold it for $5,000. And then P. Diddy wants to buy it five years later when you, you know, you become far more popular and it's now sold for like a record 60 million dollars wow. shouldn't you get some of the funds of that new sale definitely isn't yeah. it not is it not the content that you created in the first place 100 percent. and the value of it you know the appreciation of the value whether it's speculation or just the fact that you have a larger audience uh through notoriety that should be something that uh fuels you that should be something that allows you to create more of this art that people clearly are engaged with, that they like. So, you know, whether the final percentage is 10% of that 60 million, 20 or 30, you know, we haven't, that hasn't been finalized yet, but we want to have it set it up like that so that when you are doing this work, when you're putting your hard work in here, um, or you're having fun with something and it becomes popular and then you, you know, you put more work into refining it, 
you can still make money off of it or you can still be rewarded for that content. Nice. Now, I guess, would this be driven by uh, a token? Is your, is your platform planning to have a token in the future? Well, we've done a lot of research on it. Um, I can say that we've had a lot of conversations about the different ways in which we would use a token. Uh, we've talked about things such as, you know, well, how will we have content on this platform ratified? You know, are we going to do something where people will vote with a token? Um, is it something that we want to use specifically for transactions on the network? So, you know, if I want to buy uh, some in-universe content from you, I have to use this token, but I, you know, pay into the, the, the token system with the fiat currency. Do we want to use it for Patreon style payments to artists? So I really like what you're doing and, you know, you're making money off of this kind of like how Twitch streamers would do. Uh, or some people on YouTube, though, as you've probably learned with YouTube lately, a lot of people have really struggled to monetize. Right. Um, I can commit to, you know, funding your work with a token there. And then it can also be, you know, the one of the cool things about using a token is we could have it set up so that maybe every time I engage with the platform, like each month, if I'm paying like a monthly fee, you get a certain percentage of that fee. So maybe if, if all month I've only looked at your stuff, you get like 98% of that fee and the rest goes to us for, you know, hosting the platform. Incredible. So we're figuring out the different ways in which we could use a token. We haven't released any public information on whether we'll have a token or not, but you know, our actions, I can speak to our actions, which are that we're actively looking into this on a, on a weekly, if not daily basis and working with different models of, you know, how best will a token uh, serve the vision of this project? Got it. Got it. No, super cool. Super cool. Super unique. Oh, one other thing about it is it could be used specifically, you know, you could use a token specifically just for the identity part. Because you'd asked me earlier about, well, what if, you know, you're, you're putting your name out there and people clown you. They're like, Fritz, you're not a good writer. Yeah. You're, you could specifically, you know, have a unique identity that's staked to a token. Ah, okay. That token could be used just for your identity. And you know, it's that's that token is not Fritz token, or you know, that's not tied to specifically who you are. It's just tied to a, a private key. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that, that's that, that's that's super interesting. Um, I mean, you know, I'm already getting some negative feedback on my writing, so at least I can have if I have a token, it'll make me feel a little better. <laughs> it's all up, man. I mean, one thing that we talked about too is, you know, we have various levels of engagement right so you'd asked me a lot of things about monetization i kind of looked at it from the example of assuming that you're as much of a novice uh in creating art as i am even though i've done sketch comedy i haven't you know created comic books or animated anything so my apologies if you actually know and do much more than i assumed in that no sense. no no i'm less of a novice than you are so for sure okay. <laughs> well so we've got there's levels to this right so you could have your friend who's been published at a major comic book company and, you know, they've enjoyed it, but they haven't really appreciated the fact that they don't have very much editorial control or the fact that, you know, very few of these um, major characters are written by people of color or, or women or, you know, women of color. 
it's only recently that they've done, you know, really different hiring practices. And it's just a few, like I could name Roxanne Gay, Nadia Okorafor, um, you know, that's, uh, I think the end of the list right now for the top of my head for major Marvel comics, right. where they've written, you know, independent characters that are, that are not women. So I think Roxanne Gay did the uh, Women of Wakanda or World of Wakanda comic yeah. book, sure. which they canceled. Wow. So you know, that lets you know that there's a lot of work to be done. But let's say Roxanne Gay is like, all right, that's cool. I had a great time with them. And now I want to write something where I have a lot more creative control. And I'm working with a franchise or an idea that I didn't have to create on my own, but that I can build out of. So in that case, she could work on something you know, in the Solarius universe and monetize that content and, you know, with her name, promote it and potentially do a whole lot better than she would under a traditional publishing structure without right. anybody breathing down uh, her neck, telling her like, oh, you, you put um, too many women in this, or this is too subversive, this content, you know, this is our test audience that doesn't even represent you, um, doesn't, doesn't reflect what we're looking for, you know, we're, we're trying to advertise to this certain kind of demographic. We're not doing it that way. So for the, for the professional artists out there, this is a place where not only can they play, like have fun, but they can actually monetize their content, which is very different from their, their professional uh, engagements in the, in the traditional publishing world. I love it. No, that's super interesting. And it's a super um, great, it's a really good use of, of, of the token economy to kind of to solve problems and incentivize um, different players in, in, in kind of a, in the ecosystem. Um, from the creators to the uh, the people that are consuming the creations. Uh, awesome. Well, you know, obviously, you know, we could, I could do this for hours because this is super um, interesting to me. It's super new to me. So some, I, I always enjoy talking to people that I learn from. I've learned a ton um, from, our, from our conversation and as I'm sure our audience has as well. So if they wanted to reach out to you and thank you for your time, as well as learn about the Solarius Project, where can they find you? And where can they find information about Solarius? Thank, thank you for having me. Um, they can go to Solarius.network. So C-E-L-L-A-R-I-U-S dot network. Okay. And uh, when you go to the website, so cell, like cells of the body. Sure, sure. Um, like the last five letters of the word hilarious. Right, right. Don't worry about spelling it. I'm going to show, I'm going to link it in the show notes. So. Oh, perfect. And so they can go there and on the website, they can click on the about to learn more about, you know, what we are. It's a cyberpunk style um, universe. We use, we use some terms like transmedia, a few, you know, $20 words. You can look them up to get some more information, but okay. really it's about the experience. So, you know, some of these things like cyberpunk and dystopian might be a little much for people who might be new to science fiction but the real thing is this is about you creating the stories that you want to see and so i don't want people to be too caught up in what they think they need to be here because all they have to do is be present that's good enough they can look at different trailers um and then they can apply for the alpha and so if they're part of the alpha then you know some of these things where you ask me questions about um, certain ideas and I could only give you vague answers. That's because people are going to answer those questions and it's not just going to be us. This, Got it. this product is going to be driven by the, the user base, uh, by the people who are excited by it. And we want to make sure that we have a wide range of people involved so that what comes out of it is not necessarily something that 
unilaterally appeals, right? That just appeals to everyone. Uh, we, we want it to be something that grows into many different things that appeal to all kinds of people. So for example, you mentioned, was it your brother that likes sci-fi? Yeah, yeah, my brother-in-law, yep. Your brother-in-law, excuse me. Yeah, your brother-in-law should be able to find something in here that he enjoys. You should be able to find something in here that you enjoy. You should be able to say, you know, Gregory, I'm not a big sci-fi fan, but uh, I got a big thing for romance stories. And I was reading this short story that was, you know, a romance that, you know, I thought it was going to be too sci-fi for me. And then for some reason, the waterworks came because it was very good. Sure. It just, you know, I connected with it. And so, like, that's a success story. Yeah. That's that's what we want. We want to, I jokingly say that, like, if my mom is interested in it, then I've won. Yes, that's right. That's right. Because she saw the, I think, the second Lord of the Rings movie with me, and that was, like, the Make-A-Wish Foundation. You know, that was everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. You can yeah. also email me, by the way, just at my name, Gregory, at Network, and ask me specific questions you have about the platform um, or any questions you have about, you know, where our development is or where we're going to be next. You can catch us on social media. We have a Reddit page where we'll okay. be posting uh, content. We've already posted content, trailers that we've commissioned, uh, any artwork that we've commissioned. It's not ratified as as um as the core storyline yet. So even though we've had things that we've commissioned, I don't want people to think, you know, oh no, somebody's gotten there before us. No. We're just putting that art out there for people to play with and be inspired. Um, but you can look at that art on our Instagram, uh Solarius2084, uh, at our Twitter, Solarius2084, at our Reddit, Solarius2084, at our Facebook page at our YouTube page as well. Okay. And you can so also on our website. I'm going to link to all that. Um, awesome. Well, this is awesome again. Uh, thank you again. Um, thanks for sharing uh, such a cool project, sharing your background, your views on, on kind of how to, how to impact and make this blockchain space all inclusive. All right. Thank you. And it's a wrap for this episode of the Coin Gamma Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please share it out with members of your network, friends, family, associates. And most importantly, please leave a review on your podcast listening platform, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, you name it. That really helps our podcast out. It helps us get more exposure and share our content with more people. And don't forget, we're available to help you out with your blockchain related projects just reach out coingamma.com until next time Mm